Greetings. We offer these podcasts freely, and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please visit tarbrock.com. Namaste and welcome. Most of the time before I actually begin speaking, I have a, an inner reflection that I'll share with you. And it, it goes something like just sensing us all here together and I often will say, we are friends. And just kind of reflect on, here we are and we're friends. And I notice that when I intentionally move to that, just feeling our, our connection, some of the selfing that can habitually arise around being in the role and being the teacher and about to convey something of importance that I want everybody to get and I want to do a good job doing it, some of that selfing stuff, it just softens and it makes a lot more room for a kind of awakening together for a, a flow of truth and caring that is much more vibrant and alive. We are friends, and so we are. Feeling it for a moment publicly. One of my favorite uh, messages from Mother Teresa goes like this. She says, if we have no peace it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. If we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten we belong to each other. And it feels so simple and so true, and um, it's really uh, perhaps the centerpiece of awakening our heart is rediscovering belonging. So I'd like to have this be a, a centerpiece, really, of the, of the talk tonight and the talk, uh, the next class that we have. Um, really, how do we deepen our felt experience of belonging? Not some abstract idea of it, but our felt experience. And I'm aware tonight is Yom Kippur, so a deep bow to all those who celebrate the high holidays and, and the essence of Yom Kippur has to do with at-one-ment, right? That coming into harmony, into belonging. So it's fitting in that way too. Okay, so a little bit of a map of the talk. Um, what we'll be doing is first looking, as I often do, we'll actually invite each of you to reflect a bit on well, how do we cut ourselves off? How do we get cut off? How come we don't feel belonging? because it's more common not to. How do we cut off? And then we'll look at the different pathways of reconnecting. And in a way you can think of this all as, as pathways of loving-kindness, of metta. That's the Pali word for loving-kindness. And one of the most basic translations of metta is friendliness. And I've often thought that if that was our whole path, if our whole path was to attend to how the quality of friendliness towards our inner life and each other and, and widening circles, our world would be okay. It would heal. So friendliness. We will explore this in widening circles. We'll start with 
befriending and belonging to our inner life and then widen it out and widen it out. And you might think of these two uh, classes or talks as really one long meta-meditation because we're going to do a lot of little reflections during this. And if you happen to be listening to this as a podcast and driving, you might re-listen when you're not driving (laughs) so you can really attend. So we start with Thomas Merton who once said this, Of what avail is it if we can travel to the moon if we cannot cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? Of what avail is it if we can travel to the moon if we cannot cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all journeys and without it all of the rest are useless. So this abyss is what arises when we're living in a small and confined sense of a limited self, when our sense of who we are, our identity has shrunken and we're living in beliefs of what's wrong with us and how we're separated from others, that's when there's an abyss. And at those times we cannot connect to our full aliveness. When we're living in limited stories about ourselves, we cannot feel the vitality and aliveness of our bodies. And we're not open to the whole range and dimension of our heart and our feelings. And our minds are not open to really sense the vastness of this living reality and the mystery of it. We're living in a very small world. That's when there's an abyss. And in a way, what Thomas Merton's talking about, this journey, is really the evolutionary journey of awakening consciousness that we are moving from a sense of separateness and if you think of it in terms of the brain where there's really a kind of dominance of the primitive brain of the reptilian brain and the limbic system that keeps us in fight-flight-freeze I'm separate, the world's out there, I need to defend it's a journey from living in that very confined kind of distorted reality to a journey of really wholeness which is expressed by the most recently evolved brain that's a very integrated brain where the parts talk to each other and there's a synergy and a balancing. So that's the movement that we explore when we do this journey of befriending, of moving from that separateness to that connectedness. And we all have a survival brain. Every one of us is listening right now, right back behind our, <laughs> our neck, at the base of our neck, there's this, this hub of the reptilian brain and we very often have it take over. You know, we get stressed and it gets more activated. We get really stressed and it's calling the shots, you know. So we all have this reptilian brain. And so the question is, we come into this world and there's a sense of separateness we get identified as a a self is in here and a world's out there and our brain actually operates to make those distinctions and we often have that limbic brain in charge dominating and what deepens the abyss? 
how come some of us still manage to find our way back into belonging and for others it's really difficult well the first thing to say is it's not our fault if belonging's difficult um, we didn't sign on for uh, the, a culture and caregivers or genetics that cause a harder time with belonging and those are some of the elements genetically we might have a makeup that makes us more prone to depression or anxiety it's harder to feel connection we get more self-oriented and protective we might have had trauma which is really the meaning of trauma is severed belonging we lose our sense of being part of a greater whole and, and when that happens when there's that pain of trauma our basic coping strategy is to dissociate from the pain we get cut off there's an abyss so this includes all the different kinds of trauma and for huge groups of people it's generational trauma when you think about it the trauma of slavery if ever there's such a thing as severed belonging taking a whole group of people from their home and from their continent and displacing them and then separating them from their own families and enslaving them it continues on through the generations because all the all the oppressive and violating mechanisms of slavery carry on through current institutions so that's a way of creating the abyss it it continues in other forms of societal conditioning that we all are subject to whether it's the over-consuming and addictiveness of our culture the dividedness and the violence we're feeling it so, so much right now I know so many are aware of that creates an abyss, that separation and then for each of us if you look into your own family or if you didn't have a family whatever your upbringing was whoever were the key significant players the sense of belonging comes from healthy attachment but most of us had either maybe half healthy to not healthy and it's not our parents' fault it's that they were creatures of the culture so what happens? if your parents weren't able to attune to your needs if they weren't able to see you and sense really who you were if they weren't able to be nurturing remember it's survival not of the fittest, of the nurtured if they weren't able to be nurturing if they were suffocating or if they were driving you or if they had a lot of criticism that's less than perfect attachment which means that we feel some cut off from belonging and then what happens? instead of feeling a sense of belonging to our own bodies and hearts and to each other we create coping strategies that actually perpetuate the separateness keep us in that bubble keep us from belonging and you can think of your coping strategies in two big piles and one big pile of coping strategies are these are kind of the control strategies so we can meet our unmet needs so we can begin to feel safer are the aversive ones and those are all 
the strategies where we pull away from people and push people away and judge others and keep them at a distance. And in some way, it sometimes can be passive-aggressive or we withhold, but it often is aggressive, judgmental. And bottom line, it's creating a distance. And so somebody sent me this, two guys, we'll call them Earl and Bubba, are sitting in a boat fishing and drinking beer. And suddenly Bubba says, think I'm going to divorce the wife. She hasn't spoken to me in over two months. Earl takes a long, slow sip of beer and says, better think it over. Women like that are hard to find. (laughs) So the aversive kind of... um, Domain is where we, in different ways, our strategies that come out of severed belonging increase severed belonging. The most common is judgment. Okay. The other big domain is grasping. It's where I didn't have good attachment and I'm holding on really tight and trying to, in some way, make you mine, make you love me, make you want me, make you approve of me. Um, it's possessive, it's jealous, it's clinging. And uh, most of us have versions of both. In some way we get attached. Sometimes rather than attaching to another person, though, when we have unmet needs for love, we'll attach to substitutes. And the substitutes could be food or drugs or whatever. Substitute could be approval or getting more power. Here's a substitute that one person talks about I love to shop after a bad relationship. I don't know, I buy a new outfit and it makes me feel better, just does. Sometimes if I see a really great outfit, I'll break up with someone on purpose. (laughs) You get the idea though. Now, I've called these false refuges in, in my book, True Refuge, because they come out of unmet needs, where there's been some severed belonging and we have unmet needs to be loved and understood. And these are the best coping strategies we can do early on. And the problem is they become habituated. They give us a little bit of a taste of something, but they don't really satisfy, but we get hooked. So in a way they create a developmental arrest on this journey. We can't cross the abyss, we can't reconnect with ourselves and each other because these strategies keep us feeling separate. So the path then becomes about, and I feel like this is where we all are, is how do we, given we all have some of those strategies, how do we begin to deepen our attention and our presence so we can continue this journey of belonging? And an image I love for this is uh, from D.H. Lawrence, who describes how Um, and this is really early in the 20th century, describes all the disconnection back then. And he says, for the truth is we're perishing for lack of fulfillment of our greater needs. We're cut off from the great sources of our inward nourishment and renewal, sources which flow eternally in the universe. He writes, vitally the human race is dying. It's like a great uprooted tree with its roots in the air we must plant ourselves again in the universe. 
And I think that's a beautiful image of, you know, the roots in the air. It's like we're trying to get something, but it's not... What we really need is to re-root in our bodies, come back home into these living bodies, and re-root and connect with our heart and the places we've pushed away in ourselves. Reroot in awareness, really opening to the awareness that's right here and to the living beings that are with us. So we talk now, we're looking now at how does the loving-kindness practice help us to reroot, to find that belonging. And although we're emphasizing the loving-kindness practice, you can't talk about loving-kindness without talking about mindfulness. Because in order to really hold with care this life, we have to be able to be present and see what's here. So there are two inquiries that help us in deepening belonging that we'll be tracking as we do these different practices. And one is what's happening here? What's going on right this moment? And if you ask that, just ask that question, what is going on inside me right now? Perhaps you can notice the power of a question to deepen your attention, to bring you more here. That's the first question what's happening inside me right now. The second question is, and can I be with this with some kindness? And again, you can just sense, okay, what's happening inside? And can I be with this with some kindness? And with these two inquiries, the first one brings up our interest and our attention, and the second, a quality of tenderness, we begin to establish belonging. We begin to re-root ourselves in our body and our heart, crossing the abyss. So we start, as I've already been speaking, with the re-rooting inside ourselves. Many of you are familiar with the loving-kindness practice and it widens the circles and widens, so we talk about ourselves and then dear ones and neutral people maybe and difficult people and then the whole world, all the bi-wingeds and those that creep on the ground, we, we include it all. But the big secret is we have to embrace the life that's right here inside us. It doesn't mean we have to do it in a particular sequence. For some people it helps to think of their dog and wake up that warm feeling and then come and think about themselves. So it's not a sequential thing. But the bottom line is we need to befriend our inner life or we can't really open to loving our world. We can't love without holding back because there will always be parts of us that are feeling like something's wrong and we'll get re-hooked in that small self. The first practice that we're going to explore is opening and befriending and creating belonging inwardly and and by way of example or story and this is a story actually that I have in my coming up in my new book in Radical Compassion one woman that I worked with a while ago was a a new executive at a company uh, that that, uh, she had just kind of joined on the team and she was really intimidated by the CEO because he was a kind of a very harsh 
critical guy and for her the, the weekly meetings with the team were absolutely hell. I mean she would build up all this anxiety before it and then she'd be in there and she'd have kind of brain freeze and she's used to herself as a very articulate and clear and, and you know, creative, engaged person and she just became small. And so that's what she wanted to talk to me about. And so we explored it some about the anxiety that she that built up before those meetings and so on. And I'm sure many people, as you're listening, can think of something that when you approach, you just feel it building and you start getting more stirred up and it actually leads you to making more mistakes and not being who you can be. And this was what was going on. So I encouraged her to do a practice of belonging and connecting and getting in touch before, uh, before the meeting. And uh, we did RAIN, which many of you are familiar with, which is bringing these two wings of mindfulness and compassion to her experience. So I had her get in touch with the squeeze of anxiety, and she could feel it, it was very visceral. And many of you know you can feel, you feel it in your throat, you can feel it in your chest, you can kind of feel it maybe in your belly, she could feel, feel that. And then I had her, and this is part of RAIN, really asking a really key question, is what is this place in you most need? And really, what would be most healing for this place to know or remember or feel? It's a really beautiful question. When you get stuck, what does that part of you most need? And when she asked that, the response from that place was that it's okay that I'm here that I'm accepted, that it's all right that there's anxiety. So she began her practice where she'd feel the anxiety and she'd just say to herself, it's okay, this belongs. Now that's a powerful phrase, this belongs. Um, Just to, to step out a bit, if you sense your experience as you know, you're this ocean of being and there's ways of anxiety and there's ways of hatred and there's ways of love and there's ways of curiosity and the whole shebang. In the moment that you say, this belongs, it's just letting that wave be a wave in your ocean. But you get to be the ocean, you're not fighting the wave. You enlarge. And so what she found was when she said, it's okay, this belongs, not that it went away, there was still a bit of a clutch, but there was just more space around it. In fact, the who she was shifted by saying, this belongs. She became, she shifted from being the victimized self, victimized by anxiety and by the guy causing it, to the space of awareness that included the wave. Does that make sense, that shift? That became her practice that she would, before the meetings, she'd breathe with the anxiety and she'd just say, okay, it's okay, you're here, you belong. And even during the meetings, she'd mentally, silently whisper to herself, this belongs, it's okay. And she said over time, it created enough space that she really reconnected with herself. It's not only did the anxiety belong, but she was belonging more to her whole self. She got access to her intelligence again, basically, and to her voice, and to her power, really. There is empowerment when you let a part of you you've been rejecting belong. 
So this is the beginning of our metta practice of befriending, where we include what's been pushed away. And it's a courageous, a courageous uh, position to take because we have all sorts of beliefs that it's not okay that it's there. But there's an intuitive intelligence in us that knows that as long as we're pushing something away inside us, it actually makes it stronger and our identity gets more hooked to it. Okay, enough, I think enough words about that. Let's practice this one, okay? This is part one. As you close your eyes and come into stillness, you may take a moment to feel your breath and just allow yourself to arrive right in this moment, right here. And you might sense in your life right now if there's a place where you're feeling stressed and reactive and caught in difficult emotions. Something's going on that where you get more cut off from yourself than usual. It's not going to help to pick something traumatizing because that'll be overwhelming right now. So picking something that's, you know, on a scale of one to ten, ten being high trauma, something in the four to five range maybe, where you're stressed, where there's some difficult emotions, where you can sense you're a bit cut off from yourself, you're not really you're not belonging to your own full experience, you're in reaction. Let the situation come to mind and you might sense what's the worst part about it, what's most triggering or activating. What are you afraid is going to go wrong? Maybe what you're believing about yourself, that you're failing or somebody else is not caring or whatever it is that's setting you off. And then let yourself go from that story right into your body where you're feeling things and check your throat and your chest and your belly and it helps to anchor in your body more because to belong to our body sometimes we have to feel our body you might just put your hand on your heart or if it helps on your belly or your throat but just have some contact here and let it be kind contact, gentle breathing with where you, wherever you feel vulnerability or anger or hurt or fear, just breathing with it. Remember that first question, so what's really happening inside me? It's really a somatic inquiry. What's it feel like? Where does it feel most squeezed or sore or empty or aching? 
Where is the feeling the strongest of sadness or anger or hurt? So breathe with it. And sensing what that part most needs. Sensing what that part would need to hear or feel or sense to feel some healing and begin by letting it belong letting it know it belongs it's okay, this belongs and then any other message or sense of kindness that you want to offer to this place really from the wisest and most loving part of you just offering your care I'm here, I'm not leaving this belongs so you become the the ocean that's in some way cradling the wave, caring If it's difficult, know that that means the wave's a really strong wave and it's going to take some rounds of practicing this inner befriending and that's okay too. You might even send the message to that strong feeling that I'm, I'm with you and I'll be back. This belongs, I care. And just notice as you regard your inner life in this way a sense of your own being who are you when you're sensing that the waves belong who are you when there's kindness towards the parts of your being like to feel a sense of belonging with the life within you, with your own heart and we begin our loving kindness practice with the inner just to get that taste of okay, we start by belonging to the life that's right here including the life that's here to begin to get familiar with what that's like You can take a few full breaths when you're ready and if you prefer to sit with your eyes closed, it's fine if you'd like to open your eyes. We're going to widen it out now and look at how do we include those in our circles of friends, family, maybe those we work with. Um, And for now we're not going to be exploring those that we're in conflict with but really those where there's... it's never uncomplicated relationships so those where there's not outright conflict but those that we see regularly perhaps how do we deepen a sense of belonging with them? and the reality is that we can get very habituated and very unautomatic with people you probably noticed it the more stressed we are the more we're unautomatic and we actually don't feel that heart connection 
and there's not that rootedness where there's kind of we're just sustaining the abyss and what's needed to create the belonging is one simple thing that we deepen our attention in relating that we very intentionally say okay, I'm going to deepen my attention with this person and it's no small thing everybody that we meet is struggling hard everybody in our circle everybody's dealing with a body that sometimes feels not only sick but very vulnerable and it can be scary everybody's dealing with a sense of maybe there's something wrong with me maybe others will reject me I've done okay so far but at some point my luck's going to go on I'm going to fail everybody's dealing with insecurity everybody's dealing with the loss of others they love everybody's struggling hard and everybody that you know has that light of spirit shining through and part of deepening attention is to see both of those things so that when you encounter somebody your attention notices their vulnerability just like yours and their goodness there's a a story heard many years ago Um, it took place in the Midwest in some town that offered the um, Random Acts of Kindness Awards to different citizens once a year and one year it was offered to I think he was like six years old a six-year-old boy and as the story goes his family lived next to a a family an elderly couple and uh, the wife of this couple died and about a week after she died this little boy's mother saw her son on the front porch with this elderly gentleman he was in his rocking chair and the little boy sitting right next to him another chair and um, when the little boy came home the mother said well so what did you two talk about all that time and his response was mama we didn't talk about anything I just helped him to cry And I just always cherish that story because it's this kind of instinctive kindness that deepens attention and knows that the purest expression of love is paying attention to someone. And it's not our fault that we don't pay attention much. In fact, the more trauma or the more stress the more our organism is designed to turn its attention in a self-centered way to try to protect itself it's just the way we're designed it's not our fault and we can very intentionally train ourselves and it's a delicious training like it's it makes life so interesting to move through the world and wonder well what's life like for you for right now I mean, what's it really like being you? And to move through the world with that kind of interest and receptivity and also to move through the world where we look more deeply to see the awareness that's looking back through those eyes, you know? I sometimes shared that uh, this was a a trick uh, I think Jonathan told me about some years ago of when you're talking to somebody to notice the color of their eyes 
Because if you do, you're going to be noticing their eyes. And if you notice their eyes, you're going to be sensing sentience. And if you're sensing sentience, you're going to be sensing that behind these separate bodies is a field of awareness that you both belong to. That they're looking, the one that's looking at you is looking from that same place. Yes, there's conditioning that's different, but more of our conditioning is alike than different. So we start paying attention in that way. So let's, let's practice that together. And we're going to do this in two parts, this belonging to each other practice. And the first few moments, allow yourself to arrive again. The more you come back into your body, like relax your shoulders, soften your hands, let the chest be open, and soften your belly so the breath can be nice and full. I'd like to invite you to bring to mind someone that you trust that has a, a healing presence. And if you don't have somebody in your life like that, to make it up. Imagine somebody like that, a very wise and healing being that's trustworthy, that's accepting. And imagine you're in a stuck place, in some way you're, you're caught, it may be stuck in the way you already have been meditating on. And sense really how you want them to be with you. What would really be just right? What would most in your fantasy, in your imagination, most comfort and heal. How would they let you know they're interested? Because we need to feel another is interested, they want to be with us, they're curious, they want to know what life is like for us. How would that come through? Imagine that being's interest and imagine the kind of presence they offer, what kind of words or gestures or touch. What might they say to you or tell you? And what do you most want them to see about your goodness? What do you want them to get about you? Maybe it's your sincerity or your, your love of love, your love of truth. Just imagine them getting it, understanding, seeing you. And just sense the belonging, the, the sweetness and depth and peace of belonging that comes when another being cares and comforts and appreciates your goodness. What does that belonging feel like? This is the field of loving-kindness, 
the crossing of the abyss. Just feeling that feel and sensing your own most loving self and bring to mind someone who's in your closer circles, again, where there's not a lot of conflict or whatever. And take some time now. This is your time to to really deepen your attention with this person. Notice their vulnerability, where they're insecure, scared, their unmet needs. in some way offering comfort or care, whether it's energetically or with words, and them receiving that. And see their goodness. Look fresh, see what you might not be always seeing the light in their eyes, their curiosity or their dedication to truth or honesty, their humor, creativity, their way of showing love to you, to see their goodness. Perhaps behind that, that spirit, that light that really lives through them, And imagine letting them know in some way of their goodness. And what that's like for them. And sense who you are, sense who you are when you are seeing another and offering your care. sense the quality of belonging. That sense we are friends in the deepest way. I'm taking a few full deep breaths. So we've explored uh, the metta, loving-kindness that brings a sense of belonging to our inner, to a person who's not challenging so much. We're going to begin a little bit in these last few minutes to sense the possibility of widening the circle, even when somebody's a bit difficult. Ramdas says, one of the greatest things that happened in my relationship with my father was when he was approaching death. I finally allowed him to be who he was instead of trying to make him into who I thought he should be. And he stopped trying to make me into who he he thought I should be and we became friends. What a sweetness and also a bit of a sadness 
that it was really only in the final part of his father's life. So we have this inquiry for ourselves that we can spend a lifetime in relationships where we're trying on some level to have the person be different. Many of us go through decades on some level not really accepting the persons the way they are and to the degree that on some level we have an agenda that they should be different, to that degree we're not able to feel real belonging. Remember that wave, we need to let the wave belong as it is. It doesn't mean that we drop all boundaries and we ignore harmful behavior, anything like that. It means that in our hearts we truly embrace the being, who they are, and then we find our way with each other and what, what agreements are going to work best for us to live together. There's a basic understanding as we approach this terrain, and this is going to be one that I can feel as I look at the clock that um, I don't want to rush through, this terrain of how do we create belonging when we have in our relationships where there's some conflict. So I'm going to just do a little piece on it right now, and then this is where we're going to be picking up on the next class. But there's a basic understanding. When you have somebody in your life and you're in conflict with them, it's not your, your personhood's in conflict. There's a conflict of unmet needs. Whatever your background and conditioning and genetics and culture and this and that, caregiving and their culture and caregiving and genetics, there's some unmet needs in there that are triggering each other. And it happens in most every relationship we're ever, ever in. It's not a problem, necessarily. If we can accept that there's going to be edges, uh, there's a wonderful story of prickly porcupines that, you know, we're going to have to work out the, the getting poked around a bit, but we can, we can. But we need to understand that when somebody, when we and somebody else are at odds, when we're thinking, you're wrong, you're bad, you don't understand, you need to change, um, that there's unmet needs going on. And we cannot find a way to mutual belonging until we do two things. And the first thing is, that we make what's called the U-turn and we get in touch with our own unmet needs and bring kindness. And then from that place we begin to see the other more clearly. Ultimately, we get to this, this is what Ram Dass writes, he says, when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees and some of them are bent and some of them are straight and some of them are evergreens and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand it didn't get enough light and so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it, you just allow it, you appreciate the tree. Now, the minute you get near humans, you lose all of that. And you're constantly saying, you're to this and I'm to this. That judging mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means <laughs> appreciating them just the way they are. What I'd like to invite us to do, because we're going to pick this up, as I mentioned, is to begin to sense whenever there's conflict, 
that there's some unmet needs going on and that we're all trees and we're growing and we're never perfectly formed and just to begin to soften a little and open your perspective and sense, hmm, what are my unmet needs? What are your unmet needs? And then you'll find you have some space to move forward and we'll explore the moving forward in the next class. I'd like to close with a a little reflection with you, if you will. We begin this with a a very brief verse from the writer Andrea Shah. A certain Bektashi dervish, that's a Sufi, was respected for his virtue and his honesty and clarity. And when anyone asked him how he became so holy, he always answered, I know what is in the Quran. One day he had just given this reply to an inquirer in a coffee house when the newcomer asked, Okay, what is in the Quran? In the Quran, said the Bektashi, there are two pressed flowers and a letter from my friend Abdullah. The essence of loving-kindness is this open-hearted quality of friendliness. It's sacred, it's precious, and as Mother Teresa described it, when we sense that belonging that comes with friendship, we really touch peace. So we close in that spirit to just sense in your own heart the intention to befriend the life that's within you and take a moment to hold the life within you with the quality of care. Feel in your own words your prayer to befriend this life, to love yourself into healing. And then widening our attention out to sense those in our life, those close in, those that we don't know, all beings really, to sense that intention to discover our belonging to all of life everywhere. And in that discovery to know the joy and peace and freedom of being awake and alive. Namaste, and thank you for your kind attention. For more talks and meditations, and to learn about my schedule or join my email list, please visit tarabrock.com. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.